Welcome to The Women's Wisdom, our journey in emergency medicine podcast, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. Join Drs. Molly Estes and Liz Calhoun as they are joined by prominent women in emergency medicine and other special guests. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women's Wisdom podcast. My name is Liz Calhoun, and I'm an attending physician at Mercy Fitzgerald Hospital in Darby, Pennsylvania. And my name is Molly Estes. I'm clinical faculty at Loma Linda University in Southern California. And today we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Jenny McGowan. Jenny, please introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Jenny McGowan. I'm an assistant professor of emergency medicine at the University of Louisville Health System in the School of Medicine. Um, I work in a hybrid capacity, so I split my time about 50-50 working clinically in the community on um, clinical shifts, as well as on our academic side, supervising residents, teaching. Um, I work as one of our program's APDs as well. My subspecial area of interest are um, the community emergency medicine rotation for our residents, as well as wilderness medicine and medical education. Well, there is a lot to unpack there, but let's kind of dive right into some of the things that make you a little unique. Tell us more about how you got into wilderness medicine and how that plays into your both personal and professional life. So my first experience in wilderness medicine, um, I grew up in a scouting family um, and I had the opportunity to work as a wilderness medicine rotation as a third year medical student, in which we actually staffed the National Boy Scout Jamboree in West Virginia, where I grew up. It was the first time they had the jamboree at that site. So it was really cool. It was a medical student's dream come true. We were like pulling broken Boy Scouts directly off the BMX tracks, you know, and hiking everywhere. And I was like, wow, this is so fun. Like, this is what medicine is supposed to be. It was my first 30 rotation. I realized that not all rotations are like that, where you're hiking on your days off with your attendings and, you know, suturing Boy Scouts in a tent that's made out of plywood. Um, But it inspired my love for emergency medicine. And then since then, I've kind of looked for ways to get back into wilderness medicine. Um, and I've been very fortunate to um, have a few opportunities that have came up, one of which is I took an advanced wilderness life support course as I was pursuing my fellowship through the Wilderness Medical Society, um, a fellow of the Academy of Wilderness Medicine, a FOM. As I was working on that, I did an advanced wilderness life supporter AWOLS course, fell in love with the material. Um, that really helped kind of get me back into it. And then since I was lucky enough to meet the founder of AWOLS, Dr. Rich um, Ingbretston, he works at the University of Utah. And he was wonderful with allowing me to create a hybrid course or a longitudinal course that I could do with the medical students at the University of Louisville, where I'm their um, faculty advisor for their wilderness medicine interest group. Um, And so we started doing a course there. And then I've been lucky to be able to do the course with the residents and then actually got invited to go to Chamonix, France last summer to teach with him himself at one of his courses, which was just fantastic. So it's really fun to get to to teach. I like the medical education, so I get to both teach it and kind of practice it. and, And it's really been a neat experience. I don't know about you, Molly, but I have so many questions and I kind of don't know where to begin. I mean, there are so many times that I am like jealous of somebody else's life when we do this podcast. And this is that all over again. Like, I'm very <laughs> jealous of your life. <laughs> it's It's been fun. I've been very fortunate to have a program that encourages me to explore my interests in a medical school that's like, oh, you want to do this wilderness medicine course? Sure, whatever. So, and great students, of course, make it, make it very easy to, to do those things. Okay. Well, Liz, I'm still trying to collect my thoughts and figure out the one thing I want to ask about. So you go first and then I'll go next. Well, I have two. 
we're going to hold off on the travel because that's going to be an entirely separate conversation. But let's just start by talking. Tell us more about wilderness medicine itself and what the fellowship entails. It is a subspecialty of emergency medicine, but not too many people go into it. And I dare say not even a lot of people realize that we can go into it. So for all of our students and residents and new attendings out there, tell us more about how you get into this and what it means to do a fellowship in wilderness medicine. Sure. So kind of a unique thing in that there are both uh, wilderness medicine fellowships. It's not ACGM accredited, but they're associated with residency programs. But then for those of us that didn't want to take a year of our life to do that or you know went back to it later, there the Wilderness Medical Society has their own self-directed fellowship called the Fellow of the Academy of Wilderness Medicine, the FOM. With that, you collect credits to earn this fellowship status. You can actually start collecting these credits while you're a medical student or a resident but you have to have a terminal degree, um, an RN, a paramedic, an uh, MD, DO, nurse practitioner, PA. You have to have that before you can officially apply to get the designation of FOM. So you can have, I think, three to five years to collect the credits, but you can extend that. But it's you know, um, experience credits that you can get going to conferences, teaching with medical students, all of those things, um, working in a, um, a role in, as a wilderness medicine provider, as well as you know going to conferences and um online lectures, journal activities, those kind of things as well. So it's pretty cool. You can work full time and still be able to do that kind of as a fun hobby on the side. I was going to say this like triggers all of my asynchronous learning, individualized, independent, you know, instruction kind of triggers within the world of med ed. Not only that, but my ER doctor of I can do this on the side in between my for realsies job. Yes, please. Thank you. Where do I sign up? <laughs> Wilderness Medical Society org, but yes, it's it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> no sponsorship, but if they want to give us money, we'll sponsor. <laughs> but it's nice. It's nice for the students to know they can start collecting credits even at this stage. And part of the residency wilderness as an elective we have is doing our course, and they can collect credits through the course to apply if they decide they want to apply them to a fellowship later. So it's pretty neat. So this particular area of medicine has taken you into some really interesting traveling. You mentioned that this took you to France, but before we started the podcast, you also mentioned it took you somewhere else that is on a lot of people's bucket lists, but most of us will never actually go to. Tell us more. Yeah, so I love to travel, and I was fortunate to stumble upon a few other physicians in our emergency department that have went to Antarctica as an expedition physician, and I was fortunate enough to get my foot in the door and get on a trip, and this year will be my third time going down as an expedition physician to Antarctica um, with the company we go with is Cork Expeditions, and it is just fantastic. They're about 10-day-long trips. You're the doctor for all of the passengers on the ship, typically about... 150 to 200 passengers, so a little bit of a smaller ship than like the big cruise line. Um, a lot of seasickness. Uh, it's very rough crossing going down, but once you're down there, the five days spent down on the peninsula are just absolutely incredible, unforgettable. The scenery is amazing. And then you also get to practice medicine, uh, which is really neat. And it's cool, you know, the in emergency medicine, we always talk about being the only doc in the hospital, but it's kind of crazy to be standing there and be like, wow. I'm the only doc on this continent. Well, not the whole continent, but this area of the continent right now. You know, if something goes wrong, like you are 48 hours from definitive care. So it's pretty incredible. 
Okay, this is this is actually on my bucket list ever since I was a resident. And um, one of my attendings actually was the exhibition doc for a Nat Geo trip to Antarctica. And mm -hmm. that was the very first time I'd even like heard of the possibility of being an expedition doc. And it is literally on my bucket list. So I've got two questions for you. One, for those of us who might not be wilderness medicine trained, is there still a possibility that we could do this over the course of our lives? And two, I'm going to ask that really annoying question we all hate getting asked, which is, what's the craziest thing you've seen? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. So my wilderness medicine background is just kind of a perk to this. Um, most people that go down there don't have that emergency medicine physicians that are, you know, English speaking, board certified. They take docs from Canada, from the States, um, Australia, New Zealand. My last one that I handed off to is from the UK. So there's definitely possibility, even if you don't have a wilderness medicine interest, if you're a confident um, physician that routinely is still practicing emergency medicine, absolutely. You can get your name on the emailing lists and they go to the Arctic as well. So there's some really cool destinations you could get to go and get to practice medicine. And then let's see, the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, it's kind of a cop out, but honestly, I would just say the scenery. Um, it's not medical at all, but just to be down there, you know, it's a world like nowhere else you've experienced. You know, it's there's no roads. There's very minimal primitive buildings down there that are just kind of overwinter um, shacks where people will come down like research stations. And, you know, the wildlife doesn't fear humans. You know, the penguins will walk right up and be like, hey, you're in my highway. And you're like, oh, sorry, sorry. You know, and they'll waddle right past you. And it's just incredible. It's just crazy to go down there and see these wildlife, these things that you've only you know, heard about and, you know, these ginormous mountains and icebergs. And it's just completely in incredible. There's just no words for it. Man, man, I was going to I was going to call you out for a total cop out answer. Um, but you convinced me that just sounds amazing. I, I find that the more traveling and the more experiences that I personally have in my life, I, I crave those moments when you feel so small in the world. Mm -hmm. And just hearing you describe that, oh man, I I gots to get there. I gots to get there somehow, some way, someday. <laughs> it is absolutely worth it. However, you can make it work. It's like nowhere else on earth. You said you got involved with this expedition through your current job, but was traveling like this including Antarctica on your bucket list before this or was this just a happy coincidence that you happened to stumble upon and found something that you really loved? A little bit of both. Um, I'm fortunate I've now been to all seven continents. I love to travel. I've been to um, about 45 countries now so I always love to travel. Antarctica seemed like it otherwise would have been kind of just a pipe dream that I was like oh gosh like you know student loans all of that those trips are you know expensive it's going to be a long time before I could ever do something like that. So this was a really neat way to be like, wow, I get to go like at this stage of my life. Like, yes, sign me up. So it was a bit of a, a happy mix there. Um, you know, I do love I love to travel. I will go anywhere, anytime. But this was a nice way to also you know, get to go in a, a medical professional role. Well, now that the two of us have totally fangirled, fan personed, you know, all over your career. Um, let's actually take it a step back. So you do manage to balance your wilderness work and your travel and your teaching in that particular arena with your clinical work back home. How does that balance happen? And is there maybe any advice that you might have for somebody else who's looking for a little bit of a hybrid practice style? 
Well, I don't know if I'm the best person to ask about balance because my residents routinely will be like, wait a minute, didn't you? It's 7 a.m. Didn't you get out shift at the other hospital at 10 p.m.? Like, what are you doing? Um, but I've found that with a, a good attitude and willing to be flexible, you know, emergency medicine really lends itself into allowing us to make our lives what we want of it. So for me, you know, if I want to take a week off the end of one month or in the first week of the next to take a big two week trip, you know, I just think that's wonderful and, and to keep that mindset of, you know, it's OK, like the payoff's worth it. So sometimes my schedule is a little crazy um, I'm with all of the clinical duties and the administrative tasks. And I sometimes have some quick turnarounds. But for me, I find happiness in the time off, getting to recharge, getting to enjoy my hobbies outside of the hospital. And then for people that are trying to figure out their own balance, you know, it's the hybrid is a unique opportunity because I still love to practice clinically. I want to still see patients on my own. I never want to lose my skills. I joke with my residents, you know, if you're missing an intubation, you know, I will hip check you out of the way. And they appreciate that. And they laugh about it with me. So for me, my personal balance is finding that, you know, working clinically. And then I love the administrative side of the academics, which is weird because I never thought I'd say that, but I love learning about running a residency program and learning about the medical education side, things that I really had no interest as a resident. So I always tell my residents, don't rule out, you know, what you think you want your job to look like when you're a graduating resident often is not what it ends up looking like. I left academics and thought I would never return when I graduated. And here I am five, six years later as an APD and very involved in pursuing a master's in health professions education. So you never know, you know, don't be afraid to come back and decide you want to go a different course to pursue a fellowship. You know, if that's what's making you happy and where you think you're going to find balance in your life, then you should go for that. You know, work in a hybrid position, explore options, get back involved with your residency, whatever it is, because to me, that's what make, gives me balance and makes me happy is working between the two sites and getting to interact with the residents again. Wow. I don't think there could be any better advice than that. Just doing what makes you happy. I think that gets lost on a lot of us in that span of finishing residency, new attending hood, trying to figure out where our place is. And we forget that our place is wherever makes us the happiest. And kudos to you for finding what sounds like an incredible work-life balance. Well, I always give a lot of credit to my department because they've been very flexible with me and allowing me to kind of figure out what I want to do to come back to academics part-time just in a clinical role and ended up more in a leadership position. And it's, I encourage people to try to find opportunities to figure out what makes them happy and to navigate those waters. And, you know, it's okay to change your mind and completely do a 180 on what you said your career and your life were going to look like. Yeah, all of us type A people out there who think that we had everything figured out from day one with all of our check boxes along the way, you've got to leave enough um, flexibility in your life in order to take the opportunities as they might come or to realize that you're a changing different person. So I, I, I like that advice as well. So in looking back on your career thus far, are there any particular decision points that you would say made a difference, that you were happy that you made the decision one way as opposed to making the decision the other way, or or maybe the opposite. Maybe looking back, you think, oh, I wish I would have done things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I'd say when I was a resident, I was so determined I'm going to leave academics. I don't like research because research to me was, you know, collecting data and writing papers. And I just wasn't into all that. And I thought that was academic. So I said, I'm leaving academics. I'm done with all of this. I was so adamant that I was just going to work in the clinical environment that I didn't really listen to those that tried to tell me that there was a whole spectrum to it. And have you thought about medical education? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? 
And it wasn't really until I'd worked on my own that I realized the things that I had loved about residency, the teaching side, the working with the students, that was academics and I'd walked away from it. So I kind of regret not listening to people at the time that said, hey, you know, you're you're good at this. You could you should stay involved. But, you know, maybe I could say delayed my academic progression by a year or two, but I found my way back pretty quick and the opportunities were readily presented to me, which I really appreciated for my department. And otherwise, I'd say, you know, like advice as far as giving myself things I wish I'd done different or that I was glad I did. You know, I, I tried to keep once I found my way back, I've, I've really tried to keep a say yes attitude. And anything that's presented to me is this might be a good opportunity to get involved. You know, have you thought about this? Do you want to work on this project? Because I really just try to say yes. You know, even if I think maybe I'm not the most qualified person for this, you know, maybe I'm not good enough. I'm not skilled enough, experienced enough for this opportunity. I think we all kind of suffer from that imposter syndrome and let that get in our way sometimes. And I've really been trying to push those thoughts aside and just to say yes to every opportunity, even if I don't think I'm the best person for it. I figure, you know, as long as I have a genuine interest in it, maybe I don't have the experience to be the best. But if you have that passion and determination, you know, aren't a quitter, we can give we can do so much more than we give ourselves credit for. And I wish I'd realized that about five years ago and not let those thoughts get in my way as much. I try to be more positive now and say, yes, absolutely. I'll jump in with both feet. I have no idea what I'm doing, but, you know, we'll figure it out all the snaps and I'm going to have this part of the podcast saved as my motivational uh, <laughs> pick me up speech on a daily basis. <laughs> well, that's what I tell the residents. They'll tell you there's times on shift where I'm um, not quite so optimistic and are you freaking getting me? But you know, <laughs> we try. My shift yesterday involved a lot of um, mumbling of certain expletives under my breath. So uh, yes, sometimes those shifts are necessary. <laughs> Jenny, I have to say that I am thoroughly just floored by your resilience, your balance, your enthusiasm, and your well-rounded life. I have been absolutely thrilled to get to know you a little bit better on this podcast, and I know I can say the same for Molly. Is there anything that you want to add or tell us a little bit about why you got involved in Women in EM? So getting involved in the Women EM section for me was another one of those say yes opportunities. Um, I come from a residency program that's a longtime supporter of AAEM. Um, our longtime chair was one of the early uh, initial members of AAEM 30-ish years ago. So he's always made sure that all of the residents are members of AAEM and residency. And I really took that for granted. And it wasn't until I got out that I realized kind of what AAEM stood for. And when I realized that, that's when I kind of came back to it, got more involved and was looking for opportunities. How can I get involved more than just the superficial level of paying my membership dues? So the easy thing to do is look through the sections. And I was like, oh, look, I'm a female. There's a women in EM section. Oh, look, I'm a young physician. There's a young physician section. So those were the two that I joined up. And I try to not do anything halfway. So I kind of just jumped in and threw my name in the hat when I saw the email for the section counselors elections coming up. And I was like, that sounds cool. I don't know what it does. I haven't done anything before, but, you know, I'll put my name in and see where that leads. I'll at least probably get on the email chain. And I've just been so fortunate. It's been so wonderful that everyone has just been so welcoming from as soon as we got to the AAM conference last year and all of the monthly meetings. Everyone's been so welcoming and so kind, just so eager to get us involved and define projects that match our areas of interest. So I've really enjoyed my time with the Women of EM section. I've just found you guys all to be fantastic. That's really sweet of you to say, because we feel incredibly lucky that you decided to, quote, throw your hat in the ring and join um, our section as well, particularly uh, the leadership team. So 
we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule in order to join us today and allow us and all of our listeners to have a little bit of a closer peek into what goes into making you you. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate you taking the time and reaching out and asking me to do this. It was fun. And thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next month on another episode of the Women's Wisdom Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org.